Hey guys, welcome to a public podcast. My name is Kristen Arp, Sprouts and Roots Director at Public Church. Today's talk comes from our current series, Pursuit, which is all about being passionate for the next generation. Thank you for being part of our public podcast audience. My prayer is that you are challenged and changed by today's message. My name's Nathan, and I'm uh, the campus pastor here at Public Church. And what that means is I get the privilege of uh, working with our Sunday teams. Uh, I get to work with some incredible volunteers and leaders who make our Sunday experience happen. So I love getting to work with them. And this has been a very special week for our Public Church family because our lead pastor, Todd, and his wife, Whitney, on Monday welcomed the birth of their baby boy, Oliver Joseph Stevenson. And so we can lift that up. And so we're so excited about that. We're um, just loving uh, getting to see pictures of him. There's another one of the whole family. Look at that. They're just precious. We love them. And so big brother Liam is adjusting very well, loving his little brother. And so you lift them up in your prayers. You pray that they sleep well, that they're able to get adequate rest, and that they just have some sweet time together uh, in these first few weeks of his life. And so I'm very uh, excited and feel blessed that I get to share with you today a part of this series called Pursuit, and it's all about loving and being passionate about the next generation. And so last week, Todd talked to us about how our pursuit of a dream involves someone else. And I can remember that very much so in my own life. About five years ago, my wife and I decided that we had this dream, maybe been a crazy dream, but we had a dream that we wanted to run a half marathon. And so we knew quickly that that dream, the pursuit of that dream involved each other as we pushed each other in our training. So the day came and we, we ran the half marathon and about 36 hours later, there was something wrong as I was walking, my knee would lock. And if your knee just kind of locks in place, that's a problem when you try to walk. And so I would try to, and I'd have to like kind of shake it and see if it would work. And it was in a lot of pain. By the end of that night, I was in an extreme amount of pain. So the next few days, it kind of got a little bit better, so I thought I would go try and run again, and it did the same thing. So I did what most mature adults would do. I, I called the orthopedic doctor, and then I Googled my symptoms to see if I could self-diagnose the problem. Uh, and sadly, I was quite wrong. It was a little bit more extensive than I first thought. And so what we uh, come to see is that when I had surgery, it required me to put no weight on my leg for six weeks. And so I quickly knew that my pursuit of healing would require many other people. And, and I remember this one day that uh, we're driving and, and my wife's driving, we're going to church and we get there and I'm waiting for her to get my crutches out. And she says, hey, where are your crutches? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. Where do you think my crutches are? You know, and what we realized is we had leaned them against the car and then we left. And they were laying in the driveway. And so I had, to, I had to require the help of some people who like became human crutches and kind of helped me hobble in church. And I, I knew very quickly that my pursuit of healing required many other people. It required the selflessness and patience of my amazing wife because it was my right knee, which meant that I could not drive for two to three months. And so she had to be my chauffeur everywhere. I required the, the help of my physical therapist who helped me regain mobility and strength back. And so the pursuit of the healing that I, I desired and required, it required the help of others. And it's the same as we pursue Jesus because our pursuit of Jesus requires other people. Think about it in your own life. Your pursuit of Jesus 
requires other people to come alongside you and help point you to Jesus. And when we think specifically about the next generation, their pursuit of Jesus requires us to come alongside of them and help them point to Jesus. And so it's very unlikely that someone will come to pursue Jesus without someone else pursuing them first. Now, it's possible, but it's a risk that we cannot be willing to take. And in fact, at Public Church, when we think about the next generation, it's a risk that we're not willing to take. So today, we're going to be in the Old Testament and the book of Psalms, and we're going to look at chapter 78. So if you want to open your Bibles, or your Bible app will be in Psalm 78, and we're going to look at a challenge, a set of verses that challenge us on how we are to pursue the next generation and help them come alongside them in their pursuit of following Jesus. So we're going to be in Psalm 78, and we're going to begin today in verse 1. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. So he starts off by saying, Listen to what I'm about to say to you because it's very important. What I have to say to you, I need you to pay full attention to what I'm about to say. In fact, he uses the word incline here, which means to literally stretch your ear out in order to listen. So not like we would physically stretch our ears to listen to someone, but we might say, hey, pull up a chair. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about something that's really important for you and I to discuss. And so that's what he's calling the listener to do is say, hey, pull up a chair and let's have a conversation because I have something that is very important for both you and myself to get today. So he goes on in verse two, he says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. So in verse two, he's explaining how he's going to teach them and why it is so important for them to pay attention. He uses this word parable, which is a word that means it's a story that we're to take spiritual application from. In fact, it's a story that we're not to only hear and gain information, but we're to take that information and then take action from it. If we read in the New Testament, we'll see that Jesus often taught in parables. He taught in stories that we wouldn't just like hear and like be entertained by, but we would hear these stories and then take action from them. He goes on and says that I'm going to utter dark sayings from of old. And this, some translations say lessons from past. It's not that it's confusing or even difficult to understand, but it's like, hey, there's some lessons that we need to learn. There's, there's some weight to what I'm about to share with you. Maybe you've had a conversation with somebody today or in the past, and you can feel the weight of what they're saying. It's very important. And so he's calling them to say, hey, I need you to listen because this is very important, and we need to not only hear it, but we have to take action. It goes on in verse 4 and says, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He's saying that we're not going to hide the truth from our children. We're going to tell them both the good and the bad. We're not going to sugarcoat the truth. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you realize they just sugarcoated the truth? They kind of hid the reality. That can be extremely frustrating. It doesn't help us at all. And when we think about the, this moment, he's saying, hey, we're going to share with them the good and the bad. 
We're gonna share the goodness of God and how he has been blessing, a blessing to us and how he has provided for us, but we're gonna share the bad about how even though he blessed us, we turned away and walked following our own desires. We're gonna share with them the goodness of how he led us through the wilderness, but he guided us to safety. But then how once again, time and time again, we would turn away and be disobedient. He says, we're not going to sugarcoat it. We're gonna tell them both the good and the bad. And the reality is, is when we're teaching kids and students, we need to be honest and authentic with them because aren't we all looking for authenticity today? Aren't we all looking for relationships where we know the person's being authentic with us? See, one of the, the worst things we can do is to pour into a generation and paint a false picture that we have it all together. That doesn't lead them toward Jesus at all. In fact, it leads them toward disappointment. So we have to share with them and be authentic with them. He goes on in verse five. It says, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. See, the author here is referring back to Deuteronomy 6, where God commanded the Israelites, hey, you're to teach your children how to follow me. You're to, command, you're to teach your children the commandments that I have laid out for them, how they are to pursue after me and teach them that how I'm a God who loves them and cherishes them. So he's making reference to this so that their children will then understand what it means to follow God and live it out, and then they'll teach their children what it looks like to follow God and that they'll live it out. And so then, then they'll teach their children what it looks like to follow God so that there will be this ripple effect. I can remember this moment several years ago when I was really questioning, like, God, is what I'm doing in student ministry, does it really matter? Am I having any kind of impact on students? And I remember one Sunday, I was, I was on this side of the stage uh, in a Sunday gathering. I was playing guitar. I wasn't at all paying attention to the lyrics on the screen, what we were singing. But I was asking God, Lord, is there, am I, what am I doing? Does it even matter? And I felt like in that moment, he spoke to me. He put the images of some of the students we were reaching out to, and it said, hey, it not only matters to them, but it matters to their children. And it matters to their children. Because what we are to do is we invest in the next generation. We're to pursue them and point them to Jesus. It is to have a ripple effect. And that's what he's commanding us to do here. And so I want to encourage you today, if you're here and you serve in Sprouts or Roots or public students, I understand. I know it is hard some days you probably walk out of here and you're just like, I don't know if they got anything out of it. But I promise you, if you are being obedient to God and you're being obedient to those that are right in front of you, it is having an impact on them and it will have an impact on their children and the people that they are in contact with and the people they work with and their children. And you can have this ripple effect that goes throughout all eternity. He goes on in verse seven and says, Why? They are to teach their children how they're to teach them. He says, verse seven, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. He says that they are to place their hope in God, not so that they actually just gain information, but that they learn to place their hope, their trust, their confidence in God knowing that even at times when we can be disobedient and we can, uh, we can just completely mess up and fail, 
that God's hand is still on us, that God still loves us, and he is still pursuing a relationship with us, and that we can trust in his faithfulness. He's saying that we can trust in God, and we need to teach them to place their hope in God, not in their own skills and not in their own accomplishments. See, we can raise up children and raise up this next generation to be incredible students and incredible athletes and musicians and creatives. We can encourage them to go to the greatest schools and get the best degrees and have the greatest accolades and accomplishments and be extremely successful in their careers. And that's all great. We should do that. But if we only do that and we do not point them to the hope that is in Jesus alone, then all the accomplishments, all the degrees, all the accolades are worth nothing. He goes on in this verse and says that we should teach them to not forget the works of God. See, the nation of Israel, Israel had this, this cycle. They would experience the goodness of God, and then they would forget about it and live for themselves. God would be faithful and provide for them, but then they would turn around and forget how he had done that, and they would sin and be disobedient. See, think about it. When you experience the goodness of God, or you experience the goodness of anyone in life, if somebody does something for you, what do you want to do? You want to hold on to it. You want to cherish it. You want to tell others about it. If you journal, you write it down so that years later, you can go back and look at it. You post about it on social media because you want everybody to know what good things you're experiencing. And if it's a gift that someone gives you, what do you do? You hold on to it. You treasure it. If you're in here and you're a pack rat later, you're trying to clean out and purge and you have a story for everything that you're holding on to. You're like, but that's special to me. I don't want to get rid of it. I want to remember how someone was good to me. And when we experience the goodness of God, we should treasure it. We should hold on to it. And we should tell others about it. We specifically need to tell the next generation about how God has been faithful and good, the works that he has done. The third thing he says in this verse, that we're to keep his commandments. That means we're to learn what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. I love it that today, over in the annex, our roots, they're learning about what it means to trust and obey God when we don't want to. What it means to trust and obey and follow after God, even when we think our way looks better or is more enticing. They're learning about that today. They're learning about what it looks like to be a Jesus follower in a world that says, hey, follow and pursue your own things. But we're teaching them, hey, to pursue after God. We're teaching them that. And I love that because that's what he's saying. We're to teach them how to live their lives. And we're also to teach them that they are consequences to our sin and disobedience. He goes on in verse eight and says, that they should not live, they should not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. He says, hey, if you want to know how to live, don't live like your fathers. Think about this, dads, moms. How sad would it be if somebody come to your children and say, hey, you want to know how you should live? Don't live like your parents. I think that would be devastating. And in this moment, they're saying, hey, let's don't live like our, our fathers. They were rebellious. They didn't pursue after God. They experienced his goodness. But time and time again, they turned away from him. Because reality is nobody wants to be remembered this way. 
because we're all leaving a legacy. We're all leaving some type of legacy. The question is, is it one that is worthy of being followed after? Last week, Todd challenged us with the question, are our lives worthy of a younger person's pursuit? And the reality is that for most of Israel's history, they were not living a life that was worthy of someone else's pursuit. But you, you kind of get the tone in this. that He's just talking about how sad it is. And he's saying like, hey, but it doesn't have to be like this. In fact, he's like, he's challenging them and challenging us that, hey, we can do better. We can live our lives differently. These first eight, eight verses are saying that, hey, listen up because we need to get this because our past has not been that great, but we can start forward and make a difference in the next generation. And we can teach them what it means to pursue Jesus. And then it will have a ripple effect throughout eternity. And what happens in the next, the rest of the chapter is actually a history lesson. I'm just going to highlight some of the points in there. Verse 10 says that they didn't keep God's covenant. They didn't follow what God had set out for them. He made an agreement for them, but they didn't listen, didn't follow it. Verse 11, it says they forgot his works. Verses 12 through 16, though, it says it talks about some of the many wonders that God did for them. But verse 17 through 20 says that they still sinned against him. The next 10 verses talks about how it angered God, it frustrated him, and that there were consequences to their sin, yet he still provided for them and blessed them. Verse 32 says that in spite of this, in spite of all the blessings, they still sinned. Verse 38, yet he was compassionate for them. Verse 40, they rebelled against him. Verse 42, they didn't remember how he had rescued them. 52 and 53, it says he led them through the wilderness and then he guided them to safety. But then 56 says, yeah, they rebelled against him. See, we see time and time again, God is faithful and provides, but the Israelites would turn away and they would live life on their own. They would experience the goodness of God, but then they would turn away and be rebellious and disobedient. But then he writes in verse 70, it says that he provides David as a king. He, provide, he provides a king that would, would lead them to the future, who would eventually, through his line, bring Jesus, who would be the one true king, the king that would come and live a sinless, perfect life. He would die on the cross for us, taking on our sin, and then raised to life three days later so that we could have a relationship with him. See, the author shows us all these examples about how time and time again they were disobedient, but through it all, God is still faithful. And how could their legacy be different if they would have pursued God? How can our legacy be different if we point the next generation to pursue God? And I know what some of you are here today, you're saying, hey, I'm not a parent. This doesn't pertain to me. And I would respond to that and say, I'm not a parent either, not in the technical sense. See, we were talking about it this week and talking about how, you know, we're to pursue the next generation. And the reality is that parents, you are called to be the primary disciple makers for your children. But it is our responsibility as a church to come alongside families, to partner with you as Jesus followers and help point your children to Jesus. 
And so Belinda and I were talking about it this week, about why has this been a passion for us over the last uh, 10 years or so, and, and our time in student ministry, and my time as Sprouts and Roots director, and as we invest in college students as uh, we lead their college community group, and we're like, why is it that this has been a calling on our life, and why are we passionate about it? And we realize how we're so grateful for the people who have invested in us along the way, but the reality is we needed more. I can think about it growing up and how I wish there'd been more people who had invested in us. And in fact, Belinda said, I want to be for others what I needed at a young age. And I'm so grateful for my parents who pointed me to Jesus, but I needed some more people investing in me. And in fact, I was about 28 years old before the first person ever came in my life to mentor me. And it was a man named Jason Cribb. And I have a picture of him and his family on the screen. I was a young student pastor, and Jason's not a whole lot older than me, but he was further along in his ministry experience, and he come alongside me, joined the staff that I was a part of, and we quickly became really close friends. And it wasn't just like conversations that we just enjoyed each other's presence, but he invested in me. He encouraged me as a young student pastor. He helped me navigate the difficulties of ministry and, and helped me walk through that and, and encouraged me through that. But not only did he do that, is I got to witness how Jason lived his life. See, I learned how he loved Jesus because I listened to his prayers. As we would pray together, I would listen to him call out to Jesus. I would watch him as he would communicate messages like I am today, and I would try to learn from him and learn how he, he would speak and how he would love people through that. And then I would watch him as he would have conversations with people and just serve them and come alongside them. And I saw how he showed them Jesus because he loved people so well. I thought, you know what? I want to be more like that. And I knew that maybe I could do that in his life, but I could also do that for his children. I could also invest in his children. He has two sons. His uh, oldest son is Riley, who's entering his junior year of high school. I've had the privilege of, to be his student pastor for a short period before God moved them to Georgia. And I got to invest into him, and that continues today. Like I can remember several months ago, getting a text message of a, a picture. He just got his driver's license, and so we celebrated that. We also added him to our prayer list and for his parents <laughs> as he began driving. He texted me a couple months ago, said, hey, I'm, I'm trying out to play guitar for our student worship team. Me pray for me? I'm nervous. And so I got to pray with him, pray for him. And then I got the text a, a couple weeks later, said, hey, I made it. And here's, here's what's going to happen next. And so been able to walk through some of that with him. Their youngest son, Hudson, is four years old. He calls us Uncle Nate and Engel. We don't know how he got Engel out of the name Belinda, but we're not correcting it because it's really cool. It's sweet. And we're not his literal aunt and uncle, but we love him like that. We love these kids. And right now, while our time with him can be playing Hot Wheels and superheroes, we know that over time, he's going to see, hey, these people care about me. And so hopefully we can show him what it means to follow Jesus. And over the years, we've been able to invest into many students. I have a picture of two of those students today. They're, this is Bailey Roseberry and Michaela Bradford. And they're two students that we had to privilege of uh, coming alongside in our student ministry and invest in them. And we got to watch them grow as they pursue Jesus. And then here's what's really cool, is this past year they came here and started serving in Sprouts and Roots. 
and started pouring into our next generation because they see the value of that. And in fact, Bailey spent this summer serving with AmeriCorps as she worked at a boys and girls club, just like Joseph here does, investing in the next generation and and pouring into underprivileged kids. Michaela served as a camp counselor at Camp Livingstones where she got to invest into middle school and high school students because she realizes that the impact that God has had on her is not just for her, It's to pour in to others. And I love it because we have an opportunity to do that here. We have so many opportunities to invest in the next generation. The first way is through Sprouts. Sprouts is for ages three and under. I've got a picture of some of our Sprouts. Look at this. Look how precious these kids are. I love it because... These kids up here specifically show because they call us Nene and B. And so we're not technically a parent or an aunt and uncle to them, but we claim them as our own. We get to the privilege of investing and loving in these kids. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but we're having a baby boom around here. We've had several born this last few months, and we have several more that's being born. And Kristen Arp, who's our Sprouts and Roots director, is just working incredibly hard to shift our rooms around and make sure we have room for all of our children because they matter. And, you know, sometimes we hear a noise from up above where the, stu- where the children up there and they make a little bit of noise, and I just smile every time because you know why? It means we have kids here, church. We have kids here that we have the opportunity to love and invest in, and it is a privilege that we get to do that. So I know that some of you here today like Sprouts would be a great place for you to serve, and we would love to have you join that team. We have Roots, which is pre-K through fifth grade. Our Roots are fun to work with. Look at this. This is Isaac on the end. Isaac is always smiling like that. And this is pajama day. This was a very special day. But he always is happy and smiling. You know why? Because he loves pre-K. And part of the reason he loves pre-K is because of the, the one sitting behind him. That's Deanne Lee. And I'll never forget about this time a year ago, I was sitting in the very back in a gathering and I was praying, Lord, we need some people. We need some people to step up and sprouts and roots. And specifically, we needed a pre-K master teacher. And somebody tapped me on the shoulder while I was praying and said, hey, there's somebody out in the lobby that wants to talk to you. And I walked out there and I got to meet Deanne. And I learned very quickly that that was an answered prayer. God provided her. And so she's done a phenomenal job. Our kids call her Miss D, and they love her. They love Joseph. They love Brina. They love all the people who are investing in our Roots kids. And we would love for you to join that team. And for some of you, you're here today, and you're saying, teaching kids is not my thing. I understand that. That's not for everybody. But there are other ways you can serve in Roots, like help leading some activities, Because while there's a lesson time, there's a small group or community group aspect where they have activities that reinforces the lesson that's been taught. Maybe you could help lead an activity. From there, we also have public students, which is for, for middle school and high school. Our students are phenomenal. I got the opportunity to speak to them a couple times this summer at some camps, and they're incredible. They're pursuing after Jesus, and and a great reason they're pursuing after Jesus is because some of these leaders you see. You see, Austin Burns is our our public students director. He's not usually technicolored like this. He's normally different like that, but 
He's investing into these students. We have an incredible base of volunteers and adult leaders who are investing in our students. But you know what? Austin and I were talking about it. We're praying for more. We're praying that some people would step up today and invest in our students because their health is so vital for us as a church. And you know, this Sunday and the next several Sundays, we're gonna see a lot of new faces around here. School's starting back. School's about, Lee University is about to start. We're gonna see a lot of college students. And you know, we have an incredible opportunity this Friday because it's move-in day at Lee. And actually at 7.30 that morning, we're gonna feed breakfast to the Res Life staff. And then after that, we're gonna help move in new students into their dorms. And then midday, we're gonna be a part of a community showcase that students can come to who are new to the area to learn more about Cleveland and things that are offered. We have an opportunity to connect with a great number of college students. And I understand that maybe your work schedule won't allow that, but you can invest in them in other ways. Maybe you spot some students next week and say, hey, I just wanna get to know you and take you to coffee. Or maybe you invite some of them over to your home for dinner because I guarantee you they'll eat your food, right? And so we would love for you to invest in them that way. If, you, if you're interested in being a part of move-in day this Friday, you can send an email to office at publicchurch.com and you can be a part of that and find out some more information. And I know that some of you are here today and you're saying, hey, teaching children is just not my thing. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be your thing. But if we are gonna be, if we're gonna be so make so much about our next generation being important and being special to us, then we're gonna ensure their safety. And so maybe for some of you today, you could say, I don't wanna really teach children, but you could sign up and go through the process to be a part of our safety team because we're gonna do whatever it takes to ensure that our children are safe here, that they are protected, and that they have an opportunity to be safe as they pursue Jesus. And I think sometimes... One of the reasons why we don't want to always serve in the next generation, why we don't want to serve them is it can seem messy. It can seem frustrating. Does anybody ever get frustrated by Rubik's Cube? They are very frustrating, right? Somebody is very frustrated in the back. (laughs) I love it. And this can be extremely frustrating, especially if you're OCD and you're like, the colors don't match. They're not right. But you know, here's the thing. (laughs) Here's the thing. Just because it doesn't look correct, it can be frustrating, it can be messy, it doesn't mean that each turn isn't important. See, when you invest in public students, when you invest in sprouts, and when you invest in roots, it may not seem like it's a big deal, but what you're doing in that moment, it's one turn. It's just one turn, and it's very important. See, you don't solve a Rubik's Cube by saying, hey, well, this first turn doesn't matter. No, you keep turning because every single turn is important and every single turn matters as you solve it. And I didn't solve the entire thing. And obviously it still is not solved because we don't have enough time for that today. (laughs) And I quit looking at it when I was turning it. But here's the thing, every turn matters. You don't solve a Rubik's Cube by saying, well, this first turn doesn't matter. No, you solve it by saying, you know what? Every turn matters. And when you step in front of a child and sprout, it matters. When you spend time teaching a kid or doing an activity with them in roots, it 
matters. It's so vital. When you spend time with our students as they have community groups, it matters because what you do in investing in them is to have a ripple effect, not just in them, but into the next generation, into the next generation and so forth. So we have an awesome opportunity to respond to that today. And I love how this Psalm is written because it's written as a song to sing. See, we know that music helps us remember things. That's why song lyrics are so easy to remember. Songs, lyrics get stuck in your head even if you don't want them to at times. And he wrote this as a song that says, hey, let's understand the weight of this because our previous generations, they didn't pursue God, but we can be better. We can do different. We can point this generation to follow after God so that they will do the same and point to the next generation. And as we sing that song, they'll point to the next generation. And as they sing this song and follow God, they'll point the next generation to him as well. And so we're gonna have two ways to respond today. The first one is we're gonna sing a song. We're gonna praise the name of Jesus. We're gonna lift his name. The, the Jesus who came to earth, who lived a perfect life, died for us and rose again. We're gonna praise his name because we are to praise his name from one generation to the next. And then after we sing that song, I'm gonna come back up and I'm gonna invite some of you who, who feel like you would love to sign up to serve in Sprouts or Roots or public students. And I'm gonna dismiss you first to go to the lobby and someone's gonna be out there. I think Colin Cook, our family's pastor, will be out there and gonna point you to a tent out in the front lawn where you can talk to our volunteers. You can ask questions about what it looks like to serve and you can actually begin the sign up process to serve. And as we, we have a time of, of singing and before that, and even we pray, I want you to even ask yourself this question. Who introduced you to Jesus? I'm so thankful that my mom and dad introduced me to Jesus at a young life. I'm so thankful for the people who helped reinforce that in my life. And for you, it may have been your parents. If you're a Jesus follower today, it might, been a, might be a, a student pastor it might've been another teacher, or maybe it was a mentor or a coworker who introduced you to Jesus. And as you consider that, think about how grateful you are for them. Because when we treasure and we value what has been poured into us, then we should realize that we want to invest that into someone else. We want to introduce others to Jesus as well. So as I pray, and as you pray today, ask yourself, who introduced me to Jesus? And how can I pursue the next generation and ensure that they are able to follow after him as well? Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much that you love the next generation the way that you do. You love children here at Public Church and around the world, and it is your desire that they know you. Lord, and how, how awesome is it that we get to come and be a part of the work that you're doing? We get to invest into them. And so I pray that for people here, that they would realize that how they can play a role in it in different ways. But God, I pray that for people that you're stirring in their hearts to invest in the next generation, that today would be a day that they call out to you, that they would take a step of faith. And maybe if they're here today and they don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would even talk to someone on the prayer team, that they would seek after you and that they would realize that they need to have a relationship with you. So as we lift your name up, Lord, we want to make much of who you are. We want to praise you. And I pray that, Lord, we would sing your praises to the next generation and go on from there.